Luke chapter 23, verse 13, says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. What day is this? This is Resurrection Day. This is Easter. Ooh, ooh, lots of corrections. Did I say chapter 23? Chapter 24. Chapter 24. I regularly tell people, shout out if I'm saying something stupid. (laughs) And I rarely get anyone to say that, but this morning, wow, that was good. You're trained well. Let's start that over. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. This is Easter. That's Resurrection Day. Coming up in about a month. You'll be hearing another Easter sermon then. It says that same day they were traveling to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they were, while they conversed and reasoned. It's a nice word for arguing. That Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened therein these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but him they did not see then he Jesus said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther but they constrained him saying abide with us us for it For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did our... Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things which had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would open up this uh, wonderful, glorious story of the victory that your son had over death, Lord. A victory that you orchestrated. And I pray, Lord, that the life that is ours when we join our life to the resurrected life, the resurrected Jesus, that you will make known that to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I want to start off by turning briefly to chapter 22. If you could go back to chapter 22 verse 52 and 53, the setting is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, knowing that the cross awaited him, knowing all that it meant to go to the cross, that the wrath, the anger, the judgment of Almighty God would be coming upon him on the cross for for your sins and mine, the sins of the uh, world, Uh, he had in the garden just moments before this verse, verse 52, he had been crying out to God. He had been crying out, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, this thing that's about to happen. If there's any way, take it away from me. He spoke to his disciples Um, at that time in the garden. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And and, and verse 44 of Luke 22 says that in agony he prayed, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground, but he prayed through this. This this crisis that he was in, knowing um, that he was going to the cross, and he prayed through. He found the perfect peace with his Father's will. He arose. He arose from prayer. And within moments, the silence of the very late night was broken by a great crowd of men. Uh, Judas had gone to Jerusalem, had betrayed Jesus, and led the men to the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the setting for verse 52. It said, Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple and the elders. So these were the ones that came to arrest him. He said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. There's another translation uh, that says this, with this last phrase there. We could get it up on the screen. He said, but this is your hour, the hour 
when darkness rules. That's what he's saying. Darkness is about to rule here. And it's about to break out, and oh, does it. So in the rest of chapter uh, 22, what you have happened there, or rather the rest of chapter 23 is his disciples forsake him. The guards lay hold of him, take him to the high priest's house, and as they await for the judges to arrive for a, a court session, a, 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 this is a Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, uh, the guards beat him, they mock him, they blindfold him, they strike him on the face. Uh, it says in... Uh, it, it, it says there in uh, verse 22, it says there actually in verse 22, I'm, I'm mixing up chapters this morning, uh, it's actually in verse 22, verse 64, that they blindfold him and they said prophesy and, and, and tell us who is it that, that struck you. See, br- darkness uh, uh, had broken out at, at this point. Uh, so he's sentenced to death by this Jewish court. They don't have the authority to put him to death. They bring him to the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate, knowing he's innocent, w- innocent, wants to rid himself of the problem. He sends Jesus to another Roman governor, Herod, in front of Herod, uh, chapter 23 verse 10 uh, says that the chief and priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. That word in the Greek, vehemently, it means loudly. So they're loudly, they're in his face. They're just in his face accusing him of things. And, and uh, at that point, they, they, they mock him some more. They actually, it says, they put a gorgeous robe, a robe on him and, and cart him back through the streets of Jerusalem uh, to Pilate. Pilate has him whipped. He uh, releases him to his soldiers to be crucified. Uh, before uh, they lead him out to be crucified, he's further beaten and mocked by the soldiers. They put a crown of thorns. They twist it into his head. And, and finally, they put a cross on him. He collapses uh, under the weight of it. Darkness is ruling. It's ruling, just like he had said. Darkness was ruling here. And they came to arrest them. He says, now is the hour of darkness. Now darkness will rule. And we just see that, just darkness ruling the day. He's led to the cross. Nails are driven through his hands and feet while on the cross. It says he's, again, surrounded by men who the Bible says are hurling heaving insults at him. In Psalm 22, uh, they are called strong bulls of Bashan, raging bulls. he's, He's surrounded by raging bulls. Darkness is ruling. Darkness is just ruling the day. And then in verse 46 of of chapter 23, it says, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then verse 46 says, having said this, he breathed his last. He breathed his last. Now listen, at that very moment... At that very moment, when he breathed his last, 
the hour in which darkness ruled was over. From here on, you see light, you see light prevailing from then on. In fact, the next couple of verses, the Roman commander, the centurion, uh, cries out, surely this was a, a, a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. You see the crowds uh, start to, it says that as they leave the cross, verse 48 of chapter 23, they, they beat their breasts, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. A, a work of repentance has started to work in them. They realize an innocent man has been put to death, and, and, and they're guilty of it. And, and, and then one of the Pharisees, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who the Bible says had been hiding in fear, he breaks out. He comes out of the closet, if you will. See, light is beginning to prevail. He goes to, to, to Pilate and asks for his body, and then in a reckless act of faith, and I hope that's what we're about at this church, recklessly living for faith by the Spirit of God, of course, he asks for Jesus' body and gives him a public burial. Crazy. Darkness is no longer ruling, and, and, and light has, has prevailed. Now, as we go into chapter 24, it's going to become ever so clear that darkness is no longer ruling. It's no longer reigning. The darkness actually says, uh, the Bible actually says that darkness at this point has been defeated. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. It says, Jesus having disarmed the powers and authorities, the powers and authorities of darkness, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers of darkness had so ferociously tried to turn Jesus back. The, the powers of darkness, which ha had been unleashed against him, he actually chose to, 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 to enter into this, uh, this hour, this, this, this period where the, the, the powers of darkness prevailed. And, and, and just as, as God gave Satan permission to afflict Job in the book of Job, God gave, literally gave Satan permission to just afflict his son. But it says that, it, it, it says that on the cross, can we put that up again, Colossians 2, the, the, the second part of the verse? It says that he made a public spectacle, his, it, meaning his defeat. It's like the whole world watching the last, uh, the last game of the World Cup. It's a public spectacle, now, the whole world today knows that, that, that Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. I prefer to use stuff like he, you know, he just stuffed Satan. He slammed dunk, and the ball went right through onto Satan's face and just crushed his, his head. More on that later. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Genesis chapter 3. He... He, he bruised his head. He made a public, a public spectacle 
of them. So as we go into chapter 24, you don't see the darkness ruling anymore. It has been disarmed. It has been dismantled. It has been defeated. Now listen, for you and me. And here's, what, here's where I'm going to go this morning with this message. You never, ever need to be ruled or controlled or dominated by darkness. Did you hear me? Because of what's happened at the cross. Do you know about two-thirds of the Gospels are dedicated to the cross and the resurrection? There's a reason for that. God wants you to focus on this fact. There is no reason for you ever to allow darkness to dominate you or even influence you. Darkness. It's a word used throughout the Bible is a reference to the fallen human condition where our minds and our understanding has been darkened by sin. It is also a reference to the demonic realm, the power of Satan. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the rulers of the darkness of this world, a reference to the demonic realm. Let me tell you, when you put our fallen human condition together with Satan and his demonic realm, you can have darkness. But on the cross, Jesus disarmed, dismantled, defeated the power of darkness, We just saw, he made a public spectacle of it. And at that very moment that Jesus breathed his last, darkness no longer rule. Where does that leave us today? It leaves us, those who call themselves Christians, which means followers of Christ in a glorious place. Let me explain. Because we're in our fallen bodies, because of that. The Bible says someday we'll be given a glorified body, but while we're here on earth, because we're in our uh, fallen bodies and we're still subject to spiritual warfare, Satan doesn't like the fact you're saved. He doesn't like the fact that you're, if you're walking in the light, he doesn't like that. It, it, and because we're in the... We're we're still here in these fallen bodies. We will experience times and seasons of darkness. Our minds, your mind, clouded with darkness. Uh, But listen, here's the great news. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he disarmed, he dismantled, he defeated the power of darkness. You need never stay in that place of darkness. So that is going to become ever so clear to us as we continue through chapter 24. Before we go into the chapter, and I promise I'll get, I'll get to our verses this morning. I want to put up a couple of verses. It says, you, 1 Peter 3.9 says, you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You need to receive that this morning. You need to receive that. You need to absorb this. This is the word of God. Next verse, I have come as a light into the world. This is none other than Jesus speaking. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide, another word for abide is remain, 
in darkness. Important verse. Now, there's hardly a better picture of darkness defeated than chapter, four, ver- chapter 24, verse 4. It says this. It says, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed. These women had come to the tomb. They didn't find a body there. It says, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, two mighty angels sitting on an empty tomb. Hardly a better picture of darkness defeated than this. And again, we talked about this last week. Get out of your head. These images of angels, these little Gerber babies flapping their wings. Get, just get out of your head. You know, or this skinny little dude playing a harp. Forget about it. The Bible says in, in, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 19, one angel killed an entire Assyrian army of 185,000 people. These were Fearsome, awesome creatures. And two of them, two of them, all they needed is one to kill, the, in Revelation said to take Satan, cast them, uh, you know, into the abyss. But two of them are sitting in front of an open tomb with no body inside. Hardly a better picture of darkness defeated. It says in verse 4 that the women were perplexed. That's darkness. They're in their fallen bodies. We talked about the word perplexed last week, the Greek word diapero. It's, it's, it's more than just, hmm, I wonder what, what happened to the body. That's, that's weird. No, that's not what it means here. The word there means greatly perplexed. It says it's, 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 it's in the straits, the word diopero means, it, it, or dire straits. We've heard of that. They are distraught. They're paralyzed with confusion and fear. What's that all about? Darkness. Though darkness has been defeated, we're still capable of having our minds clouded with darkness. Case in point, verse 4. But you see the angels. It says in verse 5, the women fall down. They put their faces to the ground. What do the angels do? We read about this last week. They actually, the first thing they do is rebuke them. End of verse 5. So why are you here seeking the living among the dead? They're rebuked. We spend a good part of our lives, too much of our Christian lives, seeking the living among the dead. God calls us off of, out of that. They give them the word, of do, God, uh, the word of God. So there's darkness there. They're greatly perplexed. What's the solution? A rebuke and then the word of God. They say to them, don't you remember what Jesus said? How he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Saying, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Verse 8 says, and they remembered his words. Darkness gone. Darkness no longer ruling here. Yes, the residue of darkness, the, the darkness that will come upon us because we're still in a fallen body. 
will leave us sometimes confused, perplexed, dismayed. But the darkness no longer rules. It's been disarmed. It's been dismantled. So the women, filled with life, they run back and tell the disciples. Verse 11, how do the disciples react? It says, and their words seemed like idle tales to the disciples, and they did not believe them. Darkness. And we're going to see that darkness leave as well. So let's go to where we began this morning, verse 13. So we're switching now from Sunday morning to late Sunday afternoon, chapter 24, verse 13. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles away from Jerusalem. Emmaus is to the west, so they're walking towards the sea. They're walking into the sunset, actually. Verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it was while they conversed and reasoned. Now, I'm told by those who are Greek scholars, there's the concept they're just arguing and frustrated and arguing with one another. That Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they, they did not know him. God, does, God can do this, <laughs> and he does it here. He prevents them from realizing who he is. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So here you have two disciples. They're followers of Jesus. Only one of them is even named. We've never heard of him. He's not, this is the only place in the Bible he's, he's mentioned. These are not the apostles. These are just ordinary guys who had been followers of Jesus. Luke dedicates a whole lot of ink to these two very ordinary men. And I find it interesting that among the last things that Jesus did before, before he went into Jerusalem, he's got the weight of the world on him. He's about to be, go to the cross, but he takes time to respond to the cry of an ordinary man, Bartimaeus, who was blind. He said he stood still, he called Bartimaeus to him, and he ministered to him. And here on the first day of his resurrection, the first day of the resurrection, the most important day in the history of the world, he spends the better part of the afternoon and evening with two, you could say, random, well, everything he does is purposeful, but two random, ordinary guys. They're sad, they're confused, they're exceedingly discouraged, they are greatly Perplexed. Sound familiar? Just in case we didn't get the story in the first part of the chapter, Luke is retelling it. Just like the women, there's darkness here with these guys. Their understanding has been darkened. It says in verse 15 that Jesus drew near them. That is an awesome thing. 
He drew near them. Do you know in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, Jesus says to that church, and it's a church which is lukewarm. There's darkness there. And he said to that church, he says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open up, I will come in. Isn't it incredible that we don't necessarily have to clean up our life? Or rather that our life can be, our life can be a whole big mess in our mind. Darkened. Our understanding darkened. That's just when Jesus comes a-knocking. It says he draws near. They're frustrated. They're, they're, they're arguing with one another. That's when Jesus draws near. That's exciting. If you think you have to get your act all straight, your mind cleared up for Jesus to draw near to you, you don't understand grace, you don't understand what was purchased for you at the cross, and you got it all upside down. Jesus draws near to us when we are overtaken by, uh, by darkness. So these guys, deeply discouraged, they've aligned their life to him. They've been following him. They've, they, 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 they've put the stake down. Yes, I'm going to live for Jesus. And Jesus has just been gruesomely crucified, mocked, mistreated in the most ghastly kind of way, in the most public kind of way. And these guys are overcome with darkness. It says in verse 17, verse 18 rather. Well, let's just back up, read verse 17 one more time. Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Verse 18, then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? See, what happened to Jesus was an extremely public spectacle. The whole city knew about it. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and, and word before God and all the people. How the chief priests and our, our rulers... Our own rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, these guys had been living, and, and, and 95% of the community, they were living under the oppression of the Romans. They were, the Bible says in Matthew 4, they were living in darkness they were looking to Jesus to be the one who would redeem. And, and it says, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day uh, since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our women, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. 
but him they did not see. So they had aligned their lives to Jesus. They had, they had let go of their life, given their life to him. They had put Jesus on the throne of their heart. He was all their hope, all their expectation. And now nothing makes sense. They had followed Jesus. Part of the problem here is they had followed Jesus convinced that he was going to work. A life with Jesus works. Now what did we talk about last week? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Why do you believe in the Bible? Why are you a Christian? Because it works? Can I see everyone shake their head? No. That's not why you believe in Jesus. That's not why you're a Christian. Yes, Christianity works. Sure, believing in Jesus works, but that's not the reason you believe in him. You believe in him because he's the truth. The Bible, you believe in the Bible because it's the truth. There really is a perfect Savior. There really was an empty grave. There really is a resurrected Lord. If we become a follower of something just because it works, we're going to be following some crazy, crazy things. We'll be following weed. Smoking weed works. It will take away your depression for a time. It works. It's not a reason to follow it because it is a life that leads us into a lie. The life Jesus leads us into is truth. It's based on facts. So we don't believe it. We don't believe all this because it works for us. We believe it because it's true. And one of the reasons it's so critical that you get this piece right is because, listen, brothers and sisters, there will be times in your life, and that time may be today, where it seems like it's not working. It will, every molecule in your brain will be telling you this is not working. This following Jesus thing. That's where these guys are at. This is not working. That's a dangerous place to be. Do you realize where these guys are going? They're going away from Jerusalem. They've tossed in the towel. You know, women at the time weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a Jewish court. Okay, so a bunch of women are making up a bunch of, uh, of tales about the body not being there. It's not working. I'm out of here. It's a dangerous place to be. It's not working. They had given their hearts over to Jesus. They were believers in him. They had aligned their lives to to his life. And now what they had expected their life to become had not come to fruition. So they're discouraged, confused, embittered, and heading out. Darkness. 
That's darkness. We're still subject to that. Following Jesus wasn't working for them anymore. But listen, thank God for a glorious Savior who is full of grace, who draws nears to us, near to us even when we start heading out the door. And that's what he does to them. They're heading out the door. He draws near, near to them. Now, what's the first thing he did? What's the first thing? What's the first thing after asking his question? What's the first thing Jesus did? Anyone? What? Well, but what did he do before he rebuked them? He what? listened. He listened. He's going to fill them with the truth. He's going to give them a really long Bible study, but he's also going to listen to them. Before we move on, briefly, very briefly, if you are loving people the way that Jesus loves people, you will listen to them. You need to give people the truth, yes, but just like Jesus did, before you give the truth to them, listen to them. You, me, we, we need to shut our mouths so often and listen. Bible says be slow to speak and quick to listen. Isn't it great to see the word in action? Jesus, the word, our Lord, our Savior, in action. He listens, and so he, he just lets them all just pour out the whole deal. And then he speaks. Verse 25. This is, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. In all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, foolish ones. You know, the world says you're a fool for believing the Bible. Jesus says you're a fool for not believing the Bible. So what it says right here. The, wor- the world thinks you are a fool for believing the Bible. Jesus says you're a fool for not believing it. He says you foolish ones. And then he says you are, you are slow of heart to believe. Now, these guys, I have no doubt they knew the word. They knew it. I just want to just pause for a second and think about these two guys. They grew up in the Jewish community. They knew the the word. I would bet the farm. I'm not supposed to say that. My wife doesn't like it. But but I I, I would really, really, I really am positive Uh, that, that they knew the book of Exodus better than anyone in this room. They knew the book of Isaiah. They knew the book of Zechariah. They knew the word of God and it said that the Christ must first suffer. That's why Jesus is saying, you foolish ones. 
How slow of you, to, uh, of your hearts to, uh, what does he say? He says, how slow of heart to believe you are. So they knew it, but they were choosing not to believe. Belief is a choice. They knew that Christ had to suffer. They knew Genesis chapter three, where it says Satan would bruise the heel of the Messiah. They knew about the Passover lamb, that the Passover lamb, unblemished, perfect, needed to die, and its blood had to be put over the doorpost for the angel of death to come by and pass over the house. They knew the prophet Isaiah where it said that Messiah had to be crushed for our iniquities. They knew about the prophet Zechariah. They knew Zechariah 12.10. They didn't have reference numbers in those days, but they knew this verse. I want to put it up. It's one of the most extraordinary prophecies in the Bible. Zechariah 12.10 says this. This is God. This is God speaking in Zechariah 12.10. He says, And I will pour out on the house of David the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. This is God speaking. God speaking. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. These guys knew this but they were choosing to believe what they wanted to believe. Listen, there's a whole lot in the Bible about God prospering and rescuing his children. Tragically, the, the, the Bible's teaching on prosperity has hijacked the gospel in the body of Christ to the point where it's become the gospel. You come to Jesus and you will prosper. That is a true statement. But guess what? There's the rest of the story. <laughs> Jesus says in this life you will have tribulation. The Bible says everyone who, who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from, the, from them all. But, but, but the reason there is so much darkness in the body of Christ today is people have been infected with a gospel that is not taught in the Bible. And they're choosing, even though many, or if not most of them, they know the whole gospel, but they're choosing to believe what they want to believe. And when that happens, darkness overtakes them. So what does Jesus do? Verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, meaning he taught them, all the scripture... It, he taught them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And pretty soon it says, a few verses later, it says that their hearts began to burn. You know, 
I don't know how we could possibly emphasize this more around here at Calvary Chapel. The emphasis on reading and being in God's Word and responding to all of life by going to God's Word. But I'll try. I'll do my best. You got to go to the Word of God. And I'm speaking to every one of you in this room. You got to go there. You're discouraged or distraught. You need to go to the Word. If you're overjoyed, you better go to the world <laughs> to, to the Word. If you're confused, greatly perplexed, you need to go to the Word. If you find yourself in a dry season, an apathetic season, you need to go to the Word. If you're in a time of crisis, you need to go to the Word. If you're in a time of great victory, you better go to the Word. It doesn't get to your head. There are some of you who are still in this place, and I was in this place at one point in my Christian life where it's the last place you go. That has got to change, brother, sister. That must change. Or darkness will remain with you. He gives them the word. And pretty soon their, their hearts are uplifted. Same story in chapter 24 told twice. Isn't that amazing? The women show up at the tomb, greatly perplexed. The angels rebuke them, give them the word. They remember the word, they're encouraged, they're built up, they're overjoyed. Same exact story. When we hear that, when the Bible repeats a story twice in a row, it means we're knuckleheaded and we really need to, to, to God knows we really need it another time. We need the word. Not only do we need it, you need to be giving the word to those around you. You need to be giving the word to those around you. Someone around you, a loved one, or a friend, or anybody really. A perfect stranger God happens to put next to you on the tee in a doctor's office at work, wherever. They're discouraged. They're distraught. They're overjoyed. They're in a dry season. They're in a season of crisis or victory. Don't give them a bunch of worldly gobbledygook. Give them the word. Give it to them. Parents, your kids, what are you going to give your kids? Many of you in this room, you're young, you're, your parents are young children. I, I'm just telling you, as someone who's no longer a parent of young children, older children, you, you better be giving them the word. The Word. Open up the Bible and give it to them. And I can give you a hundred examples. But I just remember, you know, we, 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 in our house, we give the Word to the kids. We have a, um, not kids anymore, they're young adults, but the, we, we have a, a time in the Bible every week. And, and, and you know, but there's been some, some times where we have to, outside of the regular thing, quoting scriptures, we put scripture over the door and stuff like that, so they're around the scripture. But there are other times where it's just so important. I remember one of my daughters was uh, auditioned for a play at her school. And as it turns out, I forget the name of the play, but it's, it's, it's a bunch of people in this play who are, are referring to Buddha as Lord Buddha. And she was getting all this pressure from this teacher. Come on, this isn't really, we, this isn't really 
real. It's, it's, it's make pretend and, and actually went in and talked to the teacher and this type of thing. And, and, and my daughter was upset and uh, uh, I, I, just, I just told her, look, you know, we've been reading the word of God and guess what? It's not just a bunch of fables. It's not just a bunch of fairy tales. It's real stuff and you need, this is the time in your life where you have to start applying it. And so, you know, opening up the book of Daniel, Daniel said, I'm not gonna eat the, 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 the food defiled by the king. I'm not gonna do it. I, I remember another time, one of my, one of my daughters was in, uh, a, you know, a, a school here in Boston and, and uh, she lived there, as, as all my kids do, as a Christian. <laughs> and she became known for it. And it really began to provoke and aggregate a, a certain group of people in this school. <laughs> and I remember one time she came home and she was, she was so distressed because her friend had been in the back of a class at her school. And... She was not in this class. I don't know if she was gone that day or whatever. I don't know. I can't remember exactly. But in the front of the class, before the teacher came in, for some reason, my daughter's name was brought up. And all of a sudden, about five or six girls just started going into a hissy fit, naming my daughter, cursing her, calling her out and just talking about just, you, you know, just, 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 you know, it was all about the fact she, she was a, a, a young lady of faith and just mocking her and disparaging her, raging bulls. But these be woman raging bulls, okay, with horns, whatever they're called. And my daughter came home and she was very upset. And I open the word of God. And it says in John 15, verse 18, it says this. And I read this to her. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me before it hated you. And it built her up. You need to be giving people, your loved ones, your children, your family, you need to be giving them the word of God. And that's what Jesus does here. He's our Lord. He died on the cross for our sins. He's also our example. So let's continue. It says he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love the fact that Jesus is the interpreter here. He's also the interpretation. Are you following me? He's interpreting here, but the whole Bible has one interpretation. What is it? Jesus. It's just all about Jesus. He's the explanation of life. He's the explanation of death. Jesus is the explanation of our suffering. He's the explanation of our joy. He's the explanation of our success. He's the explanation of our our failure. Uh, It's in Jesus' light 
in the light of Jesus that our life makes sense. And so here he just works through it. And man, can Jesus make sense of the most unsensible things, if that's a word. The most unintelligible events he will make intelligent. And that's what he does with these guys. And he says in verse, it says in verse 28, they drew near to the village. So he's talking. He's giving this Bible study while, he's, uh, while they're walking. You can have a Bible study that way. It says, when they drew near to the village when they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. Verse 29 says, but they, they constrained him. They said, no, wait a second. And they said, remain, abide, remain with us, for it is toward evening. It's getting close to nighttime, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Very quickly, very important principle right there. When Jesus starts giving you the word, he is a perfect gentleman. He will always back off. He won't force you to keep listening. Neither should you or me, by the way, force anyone, the, the word on anyone. They don't want to listen, don't give it to them. But so often, man, Jesus starts speaking to us, the word of God starts speaking to us, we don't like what we want to hear, we back out. He's perfectly willing to let us do that. But it says they, can, they said, no man, stay with us, please, please. Verse 30 says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. If you invite Jesus in, you better be prepared. He's gonna take charge. Notice how he just completely takes control. You know, He's the one breaking the bread and blessing it and giving it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They, they were headed off. They had hung, they had, they, they'd thrown in the towel and they were on their way out. And here's what Jesus does. He makes us go right back in the game. If you're out of the game this morning, when I call the game, I don't want to make light. Living for Jesus, you can go right back. You can get right back in it. So they went to Jerusalem and found the 11, and those who were with them gathered there. Verse 34, and they said, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Apparently, by that time, Jesus had appeared to Peter, and Jesus had shared that with them. Uh, and verse 35, it says, and they, told, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. We'll close there. What an amazing story. This story, by the way, has struck such a chord with people. You go into Google Images or something like that, there's like over 100 paintings of this. Why has it struck a chord with so many people? Because he went and just met with ordinary people. Not the priest, not the pastor, not some prophet or whatever, just ordinary folk just like you and me. And he wants to meet with you. He wants to talk with you. 
He wants us to talk with him. You know, this Saturday we have an all-day prayer event from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And I just want to invite every one of you just to come out. The information's in the bulletin. I mean, you don't have to be there from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. But the Lord has called us to himself. And we were not born again. We were not called out of darkness into his marvelous light for us just to read the Bible. We read the Bible so that we'll know who we're talking with. <laughs> we'll know the, the gracious, exceedingly abundant, glorious God who we're talking to. And we're just going to be gathering as a church from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at, uh, at uh, Lisanne's house this, this Saturday. And man, if, it's only, if you can only come for 15 minutes, do it. Jesus is knocking on our door, and he's saying, come and be with me. There's something special and powerful that happens when the body of Christ comes together focused on one thing, prayer. And so I invite you uh, to come out to that this Saturday. I'm going to call the worship team up now. And if you've been asked to pray, if you could please come up as well. You know, I spent a little time this morning on the reality that darkness has a way of creeping into our lives. It does with me. (laughs) I know that. Even this week. I just woke up this morning, just funky bad dreams and all this other stuff, and I needed, I needed to spend some time with Jesus. And I'm so grateful that, that darkness no longer rules in the life of a believer and follower of Christ. If you've had this, if you have a week or you're here this morning where there's great perplexity, there's frustration, there's there's whatever, depression, there's, there's a darkness there. That's not unusual. You're in a spiritual battle. We're going to have prayer people uh, up here during the closing worship song to pray when the worship team begins. Uh, you, can, uh, you can just come up and, and pray. I've been asked to pray, by the way, if you could come up now. I say that darkness no longer rules, but that's, there's a qualification to that, as I've already said. That's for the life of a follower of Jesus, someone who has opened up their heart and said, Jesus, please come in and abide with me. Get on the throne of my heart and live with me. If you are not, the Bible says that when you do that, the Bible says to as many who have believed him, to as many who have received him, they have the right to become a child of God. It's a frightful thing that if you're not a child of God, it cannot be said of you that the darkness no longer rules over you. It cannot be said. The Bible says, in fact, you are subject to the ruler of darkness and He does rule over you. It's a crazy thing, but Jesus himself says that. It's a reality. If you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, believing that he lived a perfect life for you, 
believing that he died for your sins, believing that he was resurrected, he rose from the, uh, rose from the dead to give you life, come on up. There'll be people up here to pray with you. It's a simple prayer of asking Jesus into your life. You can do that when the worship team begins. Why don't we all stand and I'll close in prayer and we'll close with that worship and we'll close with, with prayer. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, that you triumphed your son, Lord. You sent your son, son and he, he indeed, he triumphed over darkness. We thank you, Lord, that you, Lord Jesus, disarmed the powers of darkness. That you even made a public spectacle of it, Lord, triumphing over them on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning as we, as we close out this time in your word. Lord, I'd ask that you would draw near to anyone who's in maybe a season of darkness, Lord. Give them the grace to say, yeah. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and clear out the darkness. Father, I pray for anyone here who has never opened up their heart to your son. I just pray you'd give them the grace to do that this morning. And Lord, I pray that you make us people of the word. This week, as spiritual darkness sets in, that we would turn to your word. That we would turn to you, Lord Jesus, and that we would listen and we wouldn't push you away. We ask for the grace to be those people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.